And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Tuesday, July 5th. Derek Van Riper, you know, Saris here with you on this Tuesday. We dig into Julio Rodriguez and some barrel rate surgers. You know, had a great piece that went up before the weekend. Rodriguez among the pieces players featured in that piece. Easy for me to say. We'll get to several of those players. Talk about some other big movers among hitters who I think are going to be going much earlier in 2023 drafts or in the midseason drafts. I know some people have set those up on the side. That's where those exist. They live in the side space. Fantrax has them, but you got to set them up yourself and join them as private leagues. So good news if you're looking for them. They exist. Bad news is they're hard to find on a big, big scale. We'll talk about a few uh, other topics, including trading for injured players, the challenges that come from trying to deal for someone like Bryce Harper right now, and maybe in hopes of having him back at the end of the season as someone that can make a very good team, an even better one, especially in head-to-head formats. And we'll get to some recent risers, including Brian Bayo, who's going to come up for the Red Sox, Harold Ramirez, who's playing more for the Rays, and the always confusing Tristan McKenzie. You know, how was your long weekend? It was great. It was great. It was exactly what I needed. <laughs> I had Because of COVID, I wasn't able to see my dad for Father's Day. So he came down. Um, we grilled. Uh, as we discussed at the table, it is practically a requirement to grill on the 4th, I believe. Uh, so we grilled, as was our duty. Uh, and then we watched a stupid movie. We watched uh, we watched Independence Day 2, which was awful. Yeah, I, I just really bad. I had no idea they made the movie. But as soon as you told me <laughs> that's what you did, I just thought that probably wasn't good. It was still kind of funny for us to sit around and laugh. There was just some really awful acting, some really bad writing. And it's not like the first one was like a critical masterpiece. <laughs> it's just that uh, it was not a second one (laughs) like at least it was kind of funny in its own way so this one tried to be the exact same thing and missed awfully there's sometimes you watch something and you think yeah the sequel is going to be great and independence day was not one of those movies for me that was not how i felt when i watched that movie 20 years ago (laughs) i i also took the kids back to the san jose giants and uh the uh, on set on sunday night and we had an absolute ball like we just had a great time the the kids were doing all the the bouncy house and the and the ball throwing stuff that they have outside uh you know they have really good beer there i had my uh, a friend of mine started federation brewing out here and they've got federation uh beers at the ballpark the tacos were great the only the only thing was it was a little bit crowded because it was fireworks night Right. Um, and, uh, but I, I did get the ball in the hole at the, the sort of the, the command challenge that they have there. Uh, and I did hit for a cycle on the ski ball thing. So I am a true athlete. 
Yeah, I think that's uh, all the proof we need. <laughs> no further questions. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a really great time. And because of the pitch clock, it was uh, it was like two hours, two and a half hours uh, at tops. And even with the fireworks, we got the kids home mostly for an okay bedtime. I had a thought about the pitch clock. So before we get into the topics that I threw out there in the intro, I want to kick this your way. Do you think it's possible that while some people believe the pitch clock and speeding up pitchers could cause pitchers to get hurt more often, do you think it could really be one of those just no effect things or maybe even a slight improvement on the current injury rate because guys can't throw their max if they have to make pitches more quickly? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, a great way to, to think about how this might end up happening. We, we have pitchers taking as, as long as they can between pitches in order to throw as hard as possible. If we limit that amount, the hope is the velo goes down. If the velo goes down, velo is the source of stress. It really is. The closer you throw to your maximum, the more stress you're putting on your elbow. So I have friends like Dr. Mike Sun who will point out that that is not the only source of stress. The other source of stress is sort of chronic use and chronic, like often pitching close to your max. So let's say you pitched at 75% a lot, you'd still be stressing out your elbow. Uh, but it would be, I would, I would say it's better than if they throw on 90% all the time, you know? So uh, I, I, it's one of those things where I'm also like, hey man, are we doing really good on injuries? Are we doing really well on injuries right now? It's like, <laughs> you know, like it already feels like there's a, every year we're like, oh, rash, unprecedented injuries, injury rate through the roof. I don't know. I don't think this one will uh, change that trajectory at all. And I, there's, I think there's an outside chance that it helps improve it by incentivizing pitchers to not throw as hard. Yeah, I mean, your conditioning would need to be better, but I think part of sustaining your effectiveness with the pitch clock would be dialing it down just a little bit. So it, it crossed my mind, I think, at the end of last week and uh, I'm glad we've got something to be excited about, aside from the games being a little quicker, which if you're covering the games helps you. But depending on your situation, right, you, you bring a family to a game. Yeah, small kids don't want to sit there for three hours and 25 minutes. That's just not going to happen. The other type of pace of play, which is not just game length, but like how long between events. Sure. Uh, so there's just it's snappier and um you know, my children are raised on screens, so, you know, they want, <laughs> I don't know who to blame for that. Maybe me, but. <laughs> I'm 37 years old. My attention span's getting shorter. Like, I'm yeah. not going to pretend like I'm immune to it. I, there was I, a study I, that said that, actually, that we, that everybody's attention span has gotten shorter in the, in the, in like the iPhone era. Yeah, and this isn't just the the elder millennial. Like, I think even my parents, like, their attention span is shorter than it used to be, so. No more, no more shaking your fist at clouds. I think there there could be some good from the pitch clock on a few different fronts, and injuries might be one of them. Uh, but let's talk about the piece that you wrote that went up just prior to the weekend. You were looking at some barrel rate surgers, Julio Rodriguez among those players, and Julio's been a frequent topic of a few shows. I had Clay Link on as a guest while you were in Hawaii. At that time, he suggested on this very podcast that Rodriguez is a first-rounder for him going forward. And then Todd Zola, who I spoke to going into the weekend on the MLB Rotowire fantasy show, said basically the same thing. So I'm 
kind of putting myself in this position of nodding along and saying, yeah, that sort of makes sense because Julio Rodriguez does everything that we want first round picks to do. Um, do you think it's fair to put a, a top 15 overall sort of valuation on Rodriguez based on what we've seen now in just about a half season of him in the big leagues? I, I love the speed. Uh, I love the the contact rate. Um, you know, uh, I think that he can actually make some improvements in the in the strikeout rate. Um, I think he can be a little bit more disciplined going forward than he has been. So there are, is still room for him to have upside beyond what he's done. Um, I think he's going to end the season pretty close to 30-30, if, uh, if not there. Um, and, uh, and maybe he has a season in front of him that could even be better, where he has a 300-30-30 season, which he probably won't do this year. Uh, because he improves the strikeout rate. So I I think yes. I do want to point out that there is a slight similarity to another person in the first round that might be disappointing people a little bit this year. Um, and that's Vladito. Hmm. Well, I've got this uh, tweet here. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, at Vlad's numbers and maybe... Maybe I haven't checked in with him enough recently. I mean, he has 19 homers. I expect him to have fewer. Uh, he's he's projected to end up with 40 homers. Is he is he uh, is he disappointing anybody? Anyway, he does share something with uh, Vladito in that he hits the ball really hard, but his attack angle is not amazing. I've got this tweet from Tanner Stokey uh, at Driveline that just uh, that he was just putting on my on my piece, and he said that. Um, you know, in June, when Julio Rodriguez was putting up these barrel rates that are so great, um, and and said to me that you know it was about just basically being comfortable, put his A swing on the ball, and getting comfortable in the big leagues. Um, he had a 75 grade bat speed, so yeah, it's 20 to 80 scouting skill. 75 grade bat speed, uh, bat to ball with 37 out of 80. Swing decisions, 44-45. So average bat-to-ball, average swing decisions, elite bat speed, and his attack angle on a 20-80 to 80 scale is a 7? No, that's it must be his actual attack angle. <laughs> yeah, I think you broke the 20-80 scale the of a 20 7. To 80 scale. But that's a, that's a lower attack angle. So... I think uh, in some ways, uh, some similarities to uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., in some ways a little bit worse because I would say that uh, swing decisions for Julio Re- for Vladimir Guerrero is above four, a 45. And then contact rate is above a 40. So I don't know. That, it, but he also doesn't steal bases, right? So how much, how much are you willing, how, much, how many flaws are you willing to like look past for the stolen bases? question yeah and i think these flaws in a player this young right. are probably more picking nits than than looking at them and saying this is not yes. gonna work that's the alternate title of this podcast though picking, picking the nits, nits. <laughs> yeah. yeah that one that took second when we named the show three years ago a lot of people who who were not on board with that one <laughs> yeah right but Julio Rodriguez, it's a 140 WRC+. plus. I'm looking at a rookie leaderboard going back to 2010. So just all rookies going back about a dozen years now. Minimum 200 plate appearances. A 140 WRC+. plus Puts him in the top 
20 among all rookies during that span. Most of the players ahead of him had very, very good careers overall and are still even mostly early rounders where, you know, timeline appropriate. Who's bad on this list? Yeah. Gary Sanchez isn't who he appeared to be at first. And that was, again, that was a very, very small sample. That was 231 plate appearances. Not a very similar player either. No. But Jordan Alvarez is number one among rookie performances we've seen. Jose Abreu, not quite the normal rookie, is a pro coming from Cuba. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yasiel Puig, Aaron Judge. I guess Puig is maybe the worst on this list. Yeah, Puig took the the spiral the downward pretty fast. He set a really high bar and then just never really got back to it. Judge, Hoskins, Trout, Matt Olson, Tatis, Otani. Miguel Sano's on here for WRC plus in a half season, but it's a 35.5% K rate. I think people people knew what his limitations were, obviously didn't run. You know, Luke Voigt's on here, Juan Soto, Grandal, Pete Alonso, Ronald Acuna Jr., Bo Bichette. Corey Almost anybody Seager. that runs is still like a top three rounder. But for most of those names, those are early, consistent early round players. Mm-hmm. Consistent early rounders. And then of all those players, only Mike Trout has more stolen bases among those rookies than right. what Rodriguez has now. And we're still going to see another 10, 15, maybe even 20 more bags. will help paper over some of the... You know some of the questions about swing decisions and and, and power uh, and contact. So, I, I, yeah, I, I'm all systems go. It's all, it's all good. Uh, you know, I don't think uh, picking the nits is the right move here. I think uh, I think he's a he's a he's a first rounder. I think there's a lot in terms of tools that are similar to Ronald Acuna Jr. I think one mm-hmm. of the differences for Acuna is Acuna made better swing decisions. Upon arrival, 27.5% O-swing percentage for Acuna back in 2018 compared to that 36.7% that we're seeing right now from Rodriguez. Where that number goes in the second half probably determines where exactly in the first round Rodriguez goes. If that remains a problem, he probably stays more late part of first round or at least back half of first round. If that gets better, if that gets better quickly, then we start talking about Rodriguez as a first half of round one sort of player. Because Acuna did... At some point, even though he started maybe with better swing decisions, he also then improved upon that. Yep. Like there was a big strikeout rate improvement. If we see a similar strikeout rate improvement from Julio Rodriguez, yeah, we're talking about a a front of the. It is interesting to then talk about which one you would have higher, because Acuna is in his prime, and he obviously is stealing bases after the injury, and he has made an adjustment that we're still kind of hoping for from Julio Rodriguez. However, the fact that Julio Rodriguez might have an adjustment left makes you wonder if there's another level that it could be further than Acuna. However, I'm a big present value guy, so I would have Acuna over Julio Rodriguez. All right, so we're in agreement that Rodriguez is a top 15 player. I would have Acuna over Rodriguez today. Yeah. For the same reasons you do. I think the present value, the little bit of track record there, being a basically repeat first rounder, mm-hmm. that would lead me to choose Acuna over Rodriguez if I were drafting for the second half or if I were drafting even for 2023, which I'll get to do that in three months. Not even. Mm-hmm. Less than three months. <laughs> Something's Eternally wrong with me. Eternally looking forward. <laughs> Something is just so wrong with me. But there is this sort of longer term question that I think is sort of impossible. And this happens every time we have a player 
who breaks out and looks like a perennial first rounder. It's what do you do in a keeper league? If someone's trying to trade for Julio Rodriguez or offering you Rodriguez in a trade, like one of our listeners sent us one that was a Luis Robert and Brandon Woodruff for Julio. And that's a 12-team head-to-head league, OPS instead of average, just to put a little more context to it. And the lean from the listener, so from Chris, was to decline it. And I agreed. I thought Chris was right to turn it down, even though with Robert, you're getting a, a guy that has a lot of ceiling, who could be a five-category player. The age difference, I think, is a factor here. And even though you're getting an ace for now in Brandon Woodruff, it's probably not an ace for three or four years. It's more like an ace for this year, next year, and then beyond that. You know, Who knows? It's, it's pretty far into the future. I just think a player like Julio Rodriguez is almost impossible to trade. Tatis was this kind of player a couple of years ago before the injuries. Acuna was like that a few years before Tatis was, where you just can't, you can't get enough ceiling back in the return to justify trading such a young, already great player away for future value. Because this is, he's the player you were waiting for. He's the player you, you've tried to build around. Yeah, yeah. And w- what I hear in that, in that Woodruff trade is, it's probably, is it was like a keep five or something. Yeah, I think that might have been a keep five. It's always that's 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 when you're like, ah, okay, so I have to take the downgrade at the hitter in order to add Woodruff and try to win it this year. But you know what the other person is doing? They're just trying to upgrade that one one of those keeper slots. There is almost no overpaying when it comes to like a keep five. You know, you could offer right. your whole team except for two or three players. You know, right? Because the the elite of the elite young keeper is a lot more valuable, even if we're talking about players that are awesome right now. So I just think that's that's where I'm at. Rodriguez is almost impossible to trade and feel like you're getting fair value in the return for in multi-year leagues. Other players that you wrote about in the piece, Ryan Mountcastle. I am the perpetual Ryan Mountcastle skeptic, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to really drill into why. I think you hit on, uh, hit on it in the piece a little bit. 25.3% strikeout rate this season, 5.1% walk rate. And I'm wondering if I get caught in, let's call it the Sabermetrics 1.0 lens. Like, why am I so fixated on strikeout and walk rate when he does a lot of other things really well? I mean, Ryan Mountcastle hits the ball very hard. Did it in June, has done it for a long time for the season. He's ninth out of 155 qualified hitters in barrel rate. I think I care more about barrel rate than I do about strikeouts and walks in general. There can be extreme examples. And I guess is Mountcastle's plate discipline bad enough where I should be as skeptical about him as I am? He doesn't have threats to playing time. He does swing at a lot of pitches outside the zone. Sixth highest O swing percentage among those same 155 qualified hitters, which does, I think, lean more to the extreme. But you see Rafael Devers in that range. You see Bo Bichette kind of close in terms of O-swing percentage too. And those are consistent early round guys that I really like. So am I wrong to kind of push Mount Castle aside given the strengths that he has at the expense of a couple of flaws? I think this is a, I think this is a, a perfectly terrible flaw to have. It's, it's, it's usually leads to bad outcomes. It's not, it's not a good move. I wrote a piece once about how there was a bunch of um, there was a bunch of players that had 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 they've never had it was like a six to one strikeout to walk ratio, and we didn't used to ever have players like that, and then all of a sudden we started having players like that in the juice ball era, 
because you could play really good defense and hit the ball really hard and just have awful strikeout-to-walk ratio. And the main player that I highlighted in that piece was Paul DeYoung. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, he. what's even crazier is that Paul DeYoung at one point it really improved his uh, discipline at the plate. It just didn't, it didn't hold. I look right now at the leaderboard. I have it sorted on fan graphs, qualified hitters for smallest BB decay. And guess what? Julio Rodriguez is a 22nd on this list. Um, but, uh, you know, there are some interesting names on here in terms of like Luis Robert. He has, uh, the second worst BB decay ratio in the big leagues. But uh, there's also just a bunch of names that I want nothing to do with. Avisel Garcia right now is number one. I don't, this version of Avisel Garcia is not what I want on my team. Uh, Jonathan Scope is fourth. He's been one of the worst batters in baseball uh, in the regular ones. Uh, Jorge Mateo is sixth. Uh, Michael Franco is ninth. Uh, you know, Adam Duvall is like the patron saint of this uh, statistic. He's 15th. Uh, I don't know. I I would just, I, I think, listen, we just did this segment called Picking the Nits on Julio Rodriguez, and this is basically the nit I was picking. Uh, and he's on this list. Cody Ballinger's on this list. He didn't used to be on this list. Uh, yeah, so I yeah. don't. I don't think it's a good. It's not a good sign if you're on this list. I don't. I think yes, you can be such a freak of nature. Uh, you know, offensively in terms of having awesome tools. You know, Bo Bichette, Luis Robert, like they have great tools and they're going to out-tool their way past this flaw. But I don't think it's a good in the long run. You know, who's fifth in this is Javier Baez, and I know he probably has one more hot streak in him, and maybe he'll be fine, and his end of season numbers will look the way they always do. Uh, but at the same time, I I thought that Javier Baez contract was one of the worst of the offseason, and there's no way I'd hitch my wagon long-term to a player like Javier Baez. So a little bit of a difference maybe between dynasty and in-season. In-season, if the guy is showing plus defense and he's showing the ability to hit the ball hard, then the BBK doesn't matter as much. But if you're talking about keeper leagues, it does matter a little bit more. So, you know, Bobby Witt is on this list right ahead of Julio Rodriguez, you, the question you have to ask yourself, and Bobochet is there, the question you have to ask yourself is, when will this become a problem, and will they improve upon it? Those are the two questions you have to ask. And I would say this is very comparable to what we see from Randy Arozarena, too. Mid-20s strikeout rate, He's sub-6% walk rate. But the key difference between these two players, Arozarena runs a lot, Mountcastle only runs a little. You're going to get three to five bags in a typical year from Ryan Mountcastle. And then I think comparing him to you know, younger guys like Rodriguez, too, the age difference is a factor, but also defensive value is a factor in the long run. It's defensive, less of a yeah, concern. It's definitely, it, this is less of a concern if he's a shortstop and center fielder, 100%. Yeah, I think the situation in Baltimore for now is fine. I just think this could be, this could be the kind of thing that turns faster than you'd think for, for Mountcastle being the kind of player who does a lot of things well. I, I worry that he's just too much like a, like a CJ Crone or a Christian Walker. And I'm looking at Walker again. Walker has had a weird season. Walker strikes out less, 19.4%. He walks more, 12.5%. He swings at pitches outside the zone a lot less, 24.8%. a really good O-swing percentage. Right now, 
it's a 181 Babbitt for Christian Walker. And I know the type of player he is. He's not the kind of guy that's going to live with a high batting average on balls in play. But that's probably a solid 100 points off of where he should be based on the way he hits the ball. I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, even though the projections see more batting average rest of season from Ryan Mountcastle than they do from Christian Walker, I see the same the same kind of things that worried me about Walker earlier in his career are there for Mountcastle right now. doesn't mean Mountcastle can't become more patient. I I just see a more replaceable big league player that does one thing well, but a lot of things not particularly well. And I'm trying to make sure I'm not missing something in how he hits the ball that actually makes him more stable than some guys that might strike out less or might reach less often. It doesn't have as stream of an attack angle as uh, Christian Walker. So, you know, Christian Walker has that 48% fly ball rate. Last year, Mountcastle was at 43. This year, he's at 36. You know, I, I do kind of like when I look at a guy and he has uh, the same amount of ground balls as fly balls. There's something that I like about that. Uh, it's an anecdotal thing, but I think it also just speaks about having an attack angle that's not extreme. Um, and we saw with Julio Rodriguez, his is a little bit closer to a stream on the low end. And I think with Walker, what you're seeing is that's extreme on the high end. And the nice thing about being extremer on the low end, if you still hit the ball hard, you can still hit 20, 25 homers, and you're going to hit for a good batting average. Um, and so I guess maybe Mountcastle's in that good uh, range where he's has an uh, has a high enough attack angle uh, to hit homers, and uh, it's low enough that he's not going to hit 230. So I guess that's what that's what makes him good, you know. I do think that at some point the the poor swing decisions are going to come to, to come for him. He's 25. Um, you know, I'm not sure I would want him on my team when he's 30, 31. But that's the question too, uh, with the with the with that leaderboard I was telling you. It's like you know you got to throw age on there. You know, mm-hmm. Avisail Garcia is maybe one of the more uh, people to be most worried about on it uh, because he's 31 years old and he's still rocking that. And you know that that those tools are just going to fall off in terms of what you when you look at aging curves for things like uh, running speed, uh, a fastball velo, uh, you know defense. In terms of the athletic, the most the things that depend the most upon athleticism, they age the worst. So that's why you like to have somebody who has a good BB decay, right? Like you have somebody who has a good sense of their knowledge of the zone, then they can still give you uh, you know good stuff when they aren't running as fast and they aren't playing as good defense. So Mountcastle being on this list, you know, without having those athletic uh, traits, I think is a little bit worrisome. He's not like a a primo dynasty uh, asset, I don't think. No, but if you're in a a league full of like-minded players, he could become undervalued. That's that's the part I'm trying to get right, is I'm trying not to throw out the things he can do along with the things that he doesn't do. I think that's when you can start to make some mistakes. But if you said, would you rather be generally into this group of players or not into this group of players, the guys who are uh, low on terms of their their BB to walk rate, I would avoid this group as a as a whole if I had to make a yes or no sort of decision about them. Yeah, I would miss out on a handful of guys that I like. I mean, sure, uh, Randy Arozarain is a good player, but he's a you guy would that miss I'd be out on Julio Rodriguez, dude. Come on now. But 
old guys on this list, especially though. Yeah, like, those are the guys that I'm. I'm not, yeah. I'm not panicking about Brendan Marsh, but I think it's fair to watch carefully and and see where the plate skills go in the second half. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not as excited about Brandon Marsh as I was at the beginning of the season. <laughs> like, I'm glad that his de- his defense is keeping on the field, uh, and and it is good defense. But they don't always play him in center field, and the BBDK is not good. Yeah, gives me a little bit of worry about uh, Bo Bichette. I guess if you look at this, but at the same time, like I'm gonna pick my spots. I'm just gonna be very careful with what I choose from this group because that's a flaw that. I generally don't want to have it. If I have it in one or two bats, that is plenty. I don't want this up and down an entire roster. One last point about this. It's interesting. There's a little bit of a difference between Luis Robert and like Starling Marte, the way that they get to a low BBDK uh, versus even Mountcastle. Because Robert is like a 19% strikeout guy with a 3% walk rate. Starling Marte, 18% strikeout, 5% walk rate. That's just like a, a, a prototype of player that I can almost get with. You know what I mean? That's like a free-swinging super hit tool guy, right? I can, I can almost handle that, you know? What I don't want is low contact rates and low walk rates. Right. Yeah, both. Like, and that's where I think Mountcastle's on that borderline. That's why I've, yeah. I've generally stayed away. And when he's good, I miss out. And when he's just kind of mediocre, then I'm not. And he's pretty streaky. I'm not sweating it. He's pretty streaky. I think you're right about that too. It's what got his uh, got his name in the the article that you wrote. He's just had right. an amazing June. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Dylan Carlson was in that piece as well. He appears to be figuring it out. And I mean, given his age and uh, being a guy that debuted in the pandemic short in 2020 season, being patient with Dylan Carlson made some sense. I, I think if you look at the the overall slash line for the season, it still doesn't jump off the page. He's at 255, 318, 418 entering play on Tuesday. Uh, but we're seeing more hard contact here recently, running a little bit as well. It kind of looks like a big second half might be just around the corner. Yeah, I mean, he's doing what you want all these other players to do, what you want Julio Rodriguez to do, what you want Bobby Witt to do. I think Bobby Witt is doing it a little bit. Uh, Rodriguez, you know, he's not necessarily improving his his reach rate, his chase rate as as, as much as it might seem. Uh, he's still keeping the chase high. What Carlson did was improve the chase rate, hit the ball harder, and lift the ball more. You know, he's just like, oh, oh, good. You did the three things that would make you break out. The one, the one thing that kind of kept me from sort of anointing him, you know, the the sleeper of the article, or like the reason we do this is his barrel rate 
he improved barrel rate because he hit zero barrels in April. Not good. Uh, his improved barrel rate was 6%. And when I read that, I'm like, okay, we've got like a 15 to 20 homer hitter on our hands. Now, I wrote that in the article, and then there was a, 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 an impassioned defense of Dylan Carlson's uh, power ceiling. And I realized that I hadn't said this season. So I, I am limiting Carlson's upside this season to 15 to 20 homers. My question to you is, where do you think his power ceiling lies beyond that? We're talking about a 23-year-old switch hitter with good plate discipline. And now that I'm looking at it, good but not great power numbers in the minor leagues. Not consistently great power numbers in the minor leagues. It He could still end up only being a 15 to 20 homer hitter. Yeah, I think the tricky things here, if you look at max exit velos, they're not eye-popping. Usually you're looking for that. You're looking for the guy that does massive damage when he finally gets a hold of one. Mm-hmm. You're not really he's seeing average-ish. that. Yeah, he's average-ish. Kind like, of average there. Yeah. Barrel rate for his career right around league average too, right? He's 6.6% for his career. He was higher in previous seasons than he is so far this year. Technically, league average is around 5, but when you're talking about like a starter, it's like more players like, we care about, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that kind of makes him what you said he is for the second half as a long-term ceiling, unless you project more based on his size. And I think I think being a switch hitter, I think, would also be a factor. I think you'd want to give Dylan Carlson more time because he's got two swings to adjust. Yeah, he's got two approaches that he has to, to build through. So it, I think it'd be harder to forecast it based on the numbers because of something very rare and unique about him. But what I confidently say, I expect more than a 25 home run season at his peak. Not based on anything I've seen so far. Yeah, he's he's shown the most uh, growth you know, power-wise uh, versus lefties this year. He's been pretty steady at uh, kind of like a 175 ISO against um, against righties. That's interesting because you get fewer plate appearances against lefties. And that your split against lefties is always going to be more up and down you know but at the same time maybe what you're saying is true like maybe he's just getting his 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 righty swing right i bet you he has like a season with 25 or something but i i think that generally we're not talking about a power hitter here it just doesn't look like it i don't i don't see the signs i don't i i think he's a good discipline hitter and he'll consistently be sort of five to ten percent above average uh you know in terms of wrc plus in terms of how he hits but it's not always going to be a, a great one for fantasy leagues. You know what I mean? Like, especially if if he steals like eight this year and then he steals like four next year. You know, like think of you're in a twelve if you're in like a twelve team keeper league and you've got a guy who's you know most likely going to hit like two eighty with eighteen homers and five steals a year. Uh, I mean, and he has to he has work to get to two eighty. You know what I mean? Like his career batting average is two fifty five. Let's say you're talking about a 260 hitter that's going to hit you 18 homers and steal four bases a year. How mu- how long do you want to hold on to that for the upside that he might hit 25 one year? It's a fair question. I guess the comp that I come up with in terms of what I think the ceiling might be, what if the ceiling is Brian Reynolds? That's which not is not bad. bad. That's a good player. Yeah, that's not bad. Because Brian Reynolds debuted 
at an age that Dylan Carlson hasn't even reached yet. Yeah. Carlson's been in the big leagues for parts of three seasons. So they're both switch hitters. They're both not necessarily guys that are overwhelming in any one category, although I would argue that a 300 batting average these days is kind of like the equivalent of popping 35 home runs. But I do think that's attainable. That's almost more attainable than like 30 homers for Carlson like a 280, 300 average, because you can see these great strikeout rates of the minors. Right now, he has an 18% strikeout rate. If he just added a little bit more power to his current line, he could be he could be a, a batting average asset. All right, so we solved it. So Dylan Carlson is probably more like a Brian Reynolds-type player than, I don't know, and, than and, a superstar, but that's not a bad about player. Ceiling. I think he has a Brian Reynolds-type ceiling. He has to do some work to get there. Probability of him getting there, I think, is a whole another matter as well. I want to talk about some other players, though, that are big movers among hitters. And I think Jordan Alvarez became front of mind yesterday because he hit his first career walk-off on the 4th of July. I think he's got a first-round future. That was future. his first career walk-off? Yeah, at least first with the Astros. Maybe he had wow. some in the minors or something. That's but. crazy. So I think he's a first-rounder. I don't know if he's gotten as much attention as a future current first rounder as he probably deserves. He's already played 31 games in the outfield this year. Well, how many first rounders do we have now? 30? 30, at least. <laughs> We're playing in 30 team leagues. No, I think he's in. <laughs> All right, so Kyle Tucker is definitely out? Eh, probably. Who else was Who else was borderline for us? Is Mookie Betts out? No, Mookie's still in. Yeah, you're right. I got 30 first rounders. Those are the rules. <laughs> no, no, listen, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I, you know, I, I think we got to take Kyle Tucker out. Although I, like, I love him. Right? He's hitting 260, 16 homers, 14 steals. He, he has a shot at 30, 30 this year. I think the problem here, I, I think the extra value we keep tacking on to steals is taking guys like Alvarez who should be first yeah. rounders and peeping them out for some. He's on his own planet as far as what he does as a hitter. He's up in that Soto level yeah. in terms of just how good he actually is at hitting baseballs. Like You can't tell me that that Vlad Jr. was fine in the early part of round one in 2022 and that Jordan yeah, Alvarez yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah, have a spot yeah, there, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's just hard for me because um, there are these things sometimes in fantasy where like intellectually you're like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I understand. Like Chad Green can be a good reliever on my team without saves. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those things where like at the if you do the analysis, you look at the end of the year, there are relievers that are worth money that didn't give you saves and maybe you should roster them because they were they were they gave you production. But then when you're actually like building the team, you're like, "I'm not, I'm not really going to I'm not really going to pick Chad Green." You know what I mean? Like am I really going to do this? There's a there's a guy out here that could close and I don't think Chad Green will close this year. So I'm going to take the guy who could close. I feel the same way about steals. It's like, yes, you can tell me, especially with the auction calculator, you can tell me that thanks to the auction calculator, this this speed, you know, this guy with no speed is going to be like a top five hitter and you should take him. But I, I stared at Max Muncy on the top of my draft board for rounds and rounds and rounds. And I don't feel that bad now for for having not picked him as much, you know? Who are some of the other guys? Remember, we had this conversation when we was talking about draft season. The guys that don't run that were that were falling. The don't run guys that fell. Yikes! There's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, Corey Seager's been that guy for a few years among early rounders. Doesn't steal any bases. Gets dinged for it. 
I don't know. Running is also running for, aside from the fact that you need steals in these leagues. Running is an is a, a a marker for athleticism and youth, you know, and tools. So, so like if you got a whole team just full of plotting three true outcomers, I don't know. I guess maybe in head to head you could be punting steals, but I think I think it would be kind of a risky play for other reasons too, right? I mean, so Jordan is 27th percentile in sprint speed, and it's the only offensive profile thing you can look at and say it's not amazing. It's, like, it's bad. Sprint speed's bad given the knee concerns. I get it. Right, right. But they play him in the outfield enough for me to be a lot less worried about the knees than we were at the time that the surgeries happened. That's true. And then it, it's like, how do you not want a guy that's, 99th percentile or 96th percentile or higher in walk rate, barrel rate, X slug, XBA, X Wilba, hard hit. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. All of it. Yeah, I'm not. You're not going to get me to say bad things about Jordan Alvarez. I'm sorry. That wasn't the challenge. I'm just like, <laughs> what does he have to do for us to be like, wait a minute, what if he's better than Vlad Jr.? Yeah. Which isn't, I'm not trying to throw shade at Vlad Jr. What if he's just better? Previously, the DH discount and the knees were two things that held him back. He's not going to DH next year. He's he's going to have outfield eligibility. He already got that. I mean, this is this is probably a top five player. Who did we pull out of the first round? We already pulled Bo Bichette out. Bo's out. Yep. And we're close to pulling Kyle, Kyle Tucker out. Bueller's can, out because of injuries. Bueller's out. Yeah. So there's two. But, but you know, are we going to have a season next year where there's just fewer first-round pitchers? That might be interesting. That might actually happen. I don't know because I would – there's usually there's usually three. Is there always just going to be three no matter who it is? I think that we, we should be learning a lesson if there's always going to be three and it's, it's different ones every year. <laughs> Come on. You know what I mean? Like, why are we doing this? Cole is going to be the only one who's going to stay in the top three. Let's see. Who's out of the first round? Trey Turner? No. Jose Ramirez? No. Juan Soto? No. Probably back of the first round. Bo Bichette? Yes. Out of the first round for now. Not way out, but so out. took one out. Can take Vlad Jr. out of the first round? No. Not Garrett if he's going to hit 40 and maybe get close to 280. No, I think Garrett Cole's the only... Uh, I think he's still the number one starting pitcher. I know other people have Shane McClanahan number one, but uh, I don't know. In terms of track record, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you take Bueller out and replace him by McClanahan, that's fine. That means we only have one person that we've taken out. Shohei Otani still in the first round. Is is he doing something that would? I mean, there's it's always like what's your what's your setup? You know? No, we're assuming NFBC for the purposes of this conversation. Maybe I think that people who own Shohei Otani and NFBC are annoyed with him. He's on pace to go 36-16 with a 262 average and over 100 RBIs and 94 runs. Maybe not that annoyed with him. <laughs> I've got him in a league. I'm not bothered. As just a hitter. Just as a hitter. I've, I never throw him as a pitcher. Um, I may have to in that league, though. I think he, he uh, could be a back-end one, but I think he's probably still in. Yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing him getting bounced. So we've, we've, cut, we've cut one because we Bueller replaced by McClanahan. Harper? I, he was kind of borderline. I, he's not going to drop far, uh, but I could see him dropping kind of to where um, Mookie was coming into last season, just because of the injury. Like, so maybe, maybe out just because he's like the first one out because other people get nudged ahead of him, but not out because he's being downgraded. He would be a first round bat if it was all bats. I think. 
Okay, Corbin Burns still there. Uh, but we had three first-round pitchers last year, so Burns just replaces the other one, I guess. Burns is already in it. He was, uh, he was ninth last year, yeah, so he's still there. Yeah, just keep him in there. Tucker? We should look at Tucker. We've mentioned him three or four times, and it sounds like give he's me Give me his, his return value, because I'm intrigued. Because at 260, 16-14, I'm not – like, he's he's the he's the best hitter on my labor squad, which is out in front by 30 points. But maybe everybody else is doing the real heavy lifting. <laughs> What's the earned value for Tucker? What do you think it is in a 15 teamer? Using the road, I would say top 20 at least, but maybe not top 10. $33. He's fifth among outfielders and among all players. Yeah, it's inside the top 20. I think it's even borderline top 10. Six, nine, 13. So he's, yeah, you're not really taking him out of the first round. And he could be doing better going forward. Like, he had a real bad beginning. Acuna's still in. He was a late first rounder by the end of, of draft season. Mm-hmm. Trout, does he come out? Now nah, you're thinking. Yeah, see, you're thinking again. Because he's not, he's not stealing bases. He's $31. He probably becomes an early second rounder. Yeah. I so think Trout's a slight drop. Yeah. All right, so we're taking Trout out too. Trout's out. So we got two. Bichette's we got two out. batters out. We can replace two batters. Rafael Devers. Was he in? He was. Well, I think he stays in. What's his still earned value? Thirty-six dollars. Yeah, he's he's still in. Bueller's out and Mookie Betts. I mean, uh, Jose Ramirez was in. Easy. Yep. Uh, Easy in. in. So we have we got two guys we can replace, and we're advocating. For, I forget who we were adding for, advocating for last time, but. Jordan Alvarez is one. Jordan goes up for sure. Julio Rodriguez, Rodriguez goes up. I think Witt's probably like a second rounder. I think Witt, I agree. I think Witt's a second rounder. Healthy Tatis is going to probably be in there too. See, someone else is going to have to come out. This isn't going to work. Ooh. Tatis replaces Bichette. Uh, Alvarez replaces Harper. Julio Rodriguez goes at the turn. So Rodriguez could take Luis Robert's spot at 15. Yeah, there you go. That's actually pretty good. That makes some sense. Someone might double up with both of those players. That might that might be a one-two turn just to go fun and tools. I have done something like that in some of my NFPC teams, though. And one thing that is annoying is there's so much late value in the outfield that when you go bang-bang outfield at the beginning, you might be getting great stats. But at the end, you'll be like, grr, I'm taking like a late middle infielder when I wish I could be taking a late outfielder. Yeah, and I found chasing speed, too. You like to be able to do that from the outfield because you seem to find more bags from that group of players. But so. how can you complain with a possible 60-60 from your first two guys, you know? The most fun 60-60 you can imagine for, for 2023. Kind of a wild ride, though, too, especially with the Roberts injuries. <laughs> You're just like every any time he's like chased the ball down the outfit, like no, no, let it go, let it go, <laughs> Luis. <laughs> We're not obsessing only with the first round in the future. I'm curious how much you would bump up Jazz Chisholm based on what we've seen so far. We've got improvements in O swing percentage, walk rate, and ground ball rate. I would look at him maybe more. You mentioned Wit as a second rounder. I think Jazz and Wit could be comparable in terms of our expectations for next year. So you think Jazz creeps up into the top 30? Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit like Carlson where you're like, oh, you're doing all the things that I want you to do um, over time. The uh, The question with, uh, with O-Swing is, 
it's generally better this year. His his chase rate is generally better this year. He had a spike in the middle of the year where it was as it was as bad as it ever was last year. But he then returned back to a lower rate. So I think that's just the process of getting better. Is like you are great and then you get kind of overconfident or like you know or or they find some little thing that they can pick at you some new thing that they're picking at you and you kind of revert a little bit to to what you did before it's like when we're trying to do something better like eat fewer chips or drink less beer you know <laughs> like you know they're like you're doing good you're doing good you've changed some stuff you changed some stuff and then families in town you're just super stressed out <laughs> you just eat all the chips and drink all the beer and they're like no 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 <laughs> No, no. Uh, that sounded very personal. It <laughs> didn't sound very hypothetical. That sounded like a true story. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Chips. I don't know what family was in town in the middle of the season for Jazz Chisholm, but there's a, there is a spike. Uh, no, I I think this is why um, uh, there is a, a a weird thing that's true of prospects, which is that high strikeout, low walk prospects still have um, a higher exceed number than you'd think. They have the highest bust rate of any prospects, but they also have this like weird, some superstars came out of that bucket. Sure. You know, and I think uh, Jazz Chisholm shows you why, because if you are going to continue to advance in the minor leagues, despite you know, a poor walk rate and a poor strikeout rate, it's because you have great defense. A little bit like what we were talking about earlier, right? It's because you have great defense and you have great power. And Chisholm has showed us those things all the way through. You know, great, I guess, it comes in quotation marks because, I don't know, you think they're going to move him to shortstop next year? Seems reasonable. Is Rojas still under contract, though? It might be one more year. Miguel Rojas' contract always has an extra year there's always a sequel <laughs> it's like an airbud movie <laughs> there's always another one there's always um, another one yeah 2023 he's already signed for next year i mean they could just play him as a reserve like yeah move him to second and and move birdie in and out with him yeah um anyway uh he has i would say he has great defense uh from the eye test uh he's always had the great power now he's kind of refining his plate approach Again, like I don't. This isn't a character that I want at, at twenty nine and thirty. Uh, and there are some Javier Baez esque facets to his game. No, I would agree that there are some similar concerns. But the biggest difference for me is that we really never saw Baez walk yeah, as much as we've seen that yeah. from Chisholm. Like that, there's always been a, a, a gap with that. So I, I yeah. think there's there's a better floor as a result of that. Because he yeah. runs, and, and being able to get on base when you run is huge. There's so many guys that could steal bases but can't get on base enough to even do it, and that's not a problem for Jazz. And the nice thing about uh, Wit and Jazz being there in the second round is that if you do want to go pitcher or Jordan Alvarez or Vlad in the first round, there might be a really nice middle infielder with uh, – with speed waiting for you you know mm-hmm. you still have to do more work you know you don't just pick jazz chisholm and and pat yourself on the back and say i got all the steals i need but uh but if you paired wit or chisholm with Jordan in particular i think you would come out with a nice batting average a good deal of power and still you know 25 plus steals 
Speaking of wit, right now it's 11 homers, 12 steals, a 233, 284, 435 line. I think the reason why I'm saying top 30 back around two is possible or likely for him is because if you take out the first month that he was in the big leagues, it looks like wit has already made the adjustments that that forecast is my way of saying that what we've seen from May on from wit is what I expect to see over the next three months of the season. And once we tack on three more months of what we've had, like the last two, then we're looking at a guy that's going to probably hit 255, 260 by season's end with a 320, 330 OBP, something close to that range, and then 2020 plus in that range. Like that's that's the type of player I think he's going to end up being. And I just think that's, it's kind of like early career Ozzy Albies where you look mm. at it just in terms of the Roto production and say, yeah, there's a couple flaws for a young player, but zero risk of playing time concerns. Place in the lineup is really secure and there's enough good here where we think he's going to fix the flaws along the way and continue to make value. And I'm saying that as someone who was skeptical of wit at his 2022 price. I think the people who were on him at that price are being proven right. And people like me are being proven wrong. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that it was bad. Um, process I think it was good process. Part. Yeah. Perfectly fine process. I'm, I'm not abandoning my process as a result of, of being wrong. But it I is think worth, this is, this it is worth thinking accept. about uh, top five type prospects, top three type prospects in a different bucket, right? And just different, there's different bus rates, there's different possible outcomes. And he's showing us, uh, you know, I wouldn't even say this is an amazing, you know, top end outcome for him. He's showing us one of the better outcomes for a, a rookie. Uh, but one of my favorite things to do on, on fan graphs is they have these rolling graphs. And, um, you know, I know they don't have bail rate on there, but they do have uh, uh, chase rate and they do have fly ball rate. And I use fly ball rate as a bit of a proxy for power and for for barrel rate um, just because I want to see them lift the ball. It's it's hard sometimes for a young guy to lift the ball. And generally over time, you actually add fly balls as you age. So, uh, you know, if you look at some of these, I have a, I had a couple names that I added to the rundown and I, you know, we talk too much and the show's almost over, so I better just throw them <laughs> out there. Um, Christopher Morell and Jack Suwinski, I think, are really interesting. I and mean, these are not guys that are going to move into the second or whatever. But they, they are guys that are playing their way up the board as we speak, you know. And we we're all watching them trying to see how much we're going to believe them next year. What are they going to do? If you look at their chase rate and fly ball rates and then you put it next to uh, Bobby Witt's, you see more sustained good behaviors from wit over time. And you see with Morel actually, and uh, with Swinsky spikes even in, in chase rate as they've gone on in the season. Uh, definitely not great improvement. And so that's why wit is a superstar in the making and probably as high as the second rounder next year. And Morel and Swinsky are guys that are going to be, working on stuff may only hit 230 or whatever uh but i do really like their bail rate they were both in the top 50 uh for last month barrel rate here comes my pop quiz hot shot oh no who leads the league in barrel rate over the last 30 days <sighs> did you give it away is it jack swinski the name has been said oh the name has been said but not not just just now in that little bit that i was talking well it's probably Jordan. Nope. <laughs> Luke Voigt. 
Oh, Luke Voigt. Yeah, I did come out. I did mention him very early on. You're right. So the reason why I will with a lower pick and with less investment in dynasty leagues and won't treat as uh, untouchable and amazing. The reason why I will go after guys like Morell and Swinski is a little bit void where it's like, Hey, you can actually hit the ball hard enough to overcome some flaws. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost circles around on the conversation we've been having the whole way through. It's the Mount castle question. I I think it's like, when, when Ryan Mountcastle requires a, I don't know, fringe top 100 overall pick, right? ADP probably somewhere in that range. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really into that there because I think there's other things you can get in that range that I like better. But would I maybe love a, waiver a little Morell and Sawinski <laughs> off the waiver wire or next year? Or pick you know, 250 or pick 300. Know, 100, rounds, 100, 100 picks later, yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's why I wanted to, to throw them out there. And then, um, a, a big mover because, uh, he was the, a different kind of, this is the very best kind of, of sleeper and mover that you want to see. If you've got a guy who walks and doesn't strike out and then ends up on the top 50 in barrel rate, you got to tell you, pay attention. Do you know who that is? He's on the rundown. So you should be able to guess. I'm going to guess Swinsky again. No, Alejandro Kirk, dude. Swinsky strikes out too much. Yeah, of course. Kirk. Yeah. So I think Kirk is Kirk playing himself into top three catcher status next year. He's certainly putting some pieces together that make you think he could be there. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Like I have him. I have him in a league where I already have my six keepers and I probably have two or three extra guys that could be keepers. And then I got Kirk and I'm just like, what do I do here? Especially it's a league where strikeouts are a category. It's, he's lovely. I, we talked about Kirk as just one of the more unusual players really in the league a few weeks ago or last week. And he's basically, as a hitter, he's like Stephen Kwan, but he hits the ball hard. <laughs> like, well, that's really interesting because if there's yeah. one thing you change about Stephen Kwan, you'd say, man, hit the ball harder. And plate skills wise, I mean, <laughs> Kirk, double digit walk rate, sub 10% K rate. Yeah, 44.5% hard hit rate so far. Barrel rate continues him. to be in the double digits. I mean, he is he's playing really, really well. Yeah. And on pace right now to be a five to six war player, too. So the real value he's providing to the Blue Jays is probably even higher than they expected. What's his earned value among catchers? Ooh, gotta be top three. No, it's got. I mean, I'm, yeah, he's two seventeen dollars. Who's one? It's not even. It's not Real Muto. Mm-mm, it's not Real Muto. Will, kind of an underrated player in the early rounds. Wilson Contreras. Contreras. Catcher. I mean, this year twenty for Wilson Contreras, seventeen earned by Kirk, fifteen for Varsho, fourteen for Real Muto, thirteen for Will Smith. I think Will Smith still could end up at the top of that leaderboard in the second half. Yeah. And then Darno and Jonah Heim, the other two catchers who've earned double digits so far in a fifteen-team mix league. Heim. Jonah Himes crushing it in, it was basically everyday duty when they had injuries. I think now it's a little less than that. But but he might get more playing time because Mitch Garver said he has a, a strained, some sort of strained muscle in his forearm or something. Yeah, he still managed to ruin Dean Kramer's start for me yesterday. <laughs> so arm must be feeling better than oh, terrible. Oh man, you know what made me so angry? I got sleep in uh, on Monday 
And I bought Braxton Garrett because he was a two-start starter in Barf. And I their their damn game started like like eight o'clock our time or something. I that's the same thing happened to me in a weekly league. I picked uh, him up. I was gonna throw him in for the two start week. Oh, you were awake in time and then you went for a job. I was awake and I thought, wow, it sure would be good to go for a run. It's a holiday and it'd be a good way to start the week <laughs> off, you know, be a little healthier, eat a little less cheese, go for a run. <laughs> so I go for a run and I come back and I, I pop open my my laptop. I'm like, right, I'm gonna make sure everyone's good. It's you know, 930 in the morning. So games probably start at 10 today, 4th of Why July. Why is he grayed out? <laughs> I'm like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> Just a horrendous weekly league error. It's like, actually, this is still my first full year living out here. So the holiday baseball times are just not in sync in my head. My my internal clock is not right. I just just wanted to sleep. (laughs) At least I was exercising. That could really cost me in barf too, man. I could use extra strikeouts. I needed the ratios in that league. That's one of the areas where I can make up a lot of standings points. And I went for a freaking jog instead. (laughs) No standings oh, wow. points out there on the on the bike path, just to let everybody know. I looked, and I didn't find anything. Lots of squirrels, no standings points. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey, guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. One more player you put on the rundown that I think is kind of interesting because he's obviously a big riser and, and someone that we're going to be talking about a lot in the second half of the season and probably through draft season next year is Michael Harris in Atlanta. I mean, this is a situation where they just got Eddie Rosario back, so their outfield's getting a little more crowded. That puts a little more pressure on him if he cools off at some point. So far, it's worked for Harris despite a lot of swings at pitches outside the zone and a ground ball rate that's a bit higher than what he had at double A. Like, there's... Poor BBK. You can see warts, but good, good max exavilo, good barrel rate. We're talking about a guy who's 21 in his debut season, who has shown consistently good walk rates in the minors. Doesn't seem to have a big strikeout problem in the minor league track record. I'd be really excited if I were a fan of this team and I saw Harris doing what he's doing so far, even as someone who's skeptical about how good the second half is going to be. He doesn't have to be great in the second half to keep regular playing time. He's a good defender and takes quality at bats. He'll play a lot. And because he can hit for power and steal bases, he could be a good fantasy player even with short-term flaws. Yeah, 100%. You know, there's 
running out to make uh, comparisons to Acuna. He's not Acuna. He does not hit the ball. He does not barrel the ball as much. He does not hit the ball as hard. Hits the ball on the ground too often to be Acuna. But could he be a great player otherwise? You know, uh, I do. I do believe it. I think next year, you know, you could do a projection for him next year where he hits two sixty with twenty homers and twenty five steals. I kind of think there's more of a Starling Marte profile here because of the ground balls and the speed being grade, a little further than the rate. power. Yeah, That's more of like the fantasy comp that I would see for someone like Harris, just based on the early ground. The one thing you have to do is is to be Starling Marte is steal a lot more bases. I mean, look at the success rates in the minors, though. 27 for 31 at high A last year mm-hmm. in 101 games. He was 11 for 14 at double A in 43 games. That's the future of a maybe a 20 to 30 steel guy pretty easily if again if the obps hold and and if organizational philosophy continues to allow players to run as much as they want yeah. they seem like a team that lets guys run mm-hmm. all their great young players have come up and been able to steal bases so and cunha off of the injury so yeah because i'm looking back at young starling Marte, and that was one of the critiques people had about Marte. they've always had that he hits the ball on the ground a lot Mm-hmm. It was always a limitation to his. But he power. hits him hard. 113 max exit view though is is not nothing. We were we were saying Dylan Carlson doesn't really. He has 108. 108 is a little bit the dividing line. Yeah, looking way back, like Starling Marte minor league numbers also young for the level when he played at Double A as a 22 year old back in 2011. 332, 375, 17 and percent K rate, 3.8 percent walk rate. So Harris walks even more. more than that. Strikes out about the same. Hit the ball on the ground a little less than Marte did. Raw power, yeah, I think there's a difference there, but not that much. 12 homers in 129 games. That was with Altoona for Marte, and then 5 and 43 for Harris. So, I, I mean, I think that's that's probably the direction he's going based on current players in the pool that we're really excited about. If you're trying to get a ceiling for Michael Harris, that's a pretty good ceiling because Starling Marte has been an early-round pick for a long time. Yeah. I it's it's super exciting, you know. Michael Harris is is super exciting, and 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 how quickly they moved him through just speaks to their belief in him. Yeah, they they like the way he prepares. They like a lot of things about how Michael Harris has cruised through their minor league system so far. A um, couple of quick things I wanted to get to because this has been in the rundown for a little while now, and I know we're running a little long, but we'll we'll fly through this. Trading for injured players. This is a specific question from Mark on the rundown. He's currently in first place. He's wondering if he should trade Taylor Ward, a healthy Taylor Ward now, to get Bryce Harper for a late-season playoff run. That's a head-to-head league. I would do it. If you're cruising in to first place, you know you're going to make the playoffs. I'd rather have the upgrade later. Taylor Ward's been good. I think Taylor Ward, a lot of this breakout might be sustainable. But if we're not talking about... If we're not talking about getting this upgrade now, like what what are we doing here? Like you you yeah. want that? You want a top ten player later if you can get one? Yeah, the only uh, issue I have with it is that you you're dealing for a perceived upside, and then um, their play could be affected by the injury even as they come back. Right. If Harper comes back and he's not himself, okay. There are setbacks. But- there are you know he's not currently healthy, so you're taking a, a, a swing. Definitely a short-term hit, kind of nursing that spot without Harper because Ward's good. Like Ward's playing really well, but I think if you feel good about getting to the playoffs, 
it's something worth doing. I think this is the hard thing that people have had to figure out with Jacob deGrom in a lot of leagues. Like, Should you really have been trading for him in the past month? Should you be trading for him right now? Should you expect a guy to come back and be himself? And generally, I feel like you you need to take a little off the projection for any type of injury. For Harper, it's a, it's a thumb injury. Like the elbow, we're not worried about the elbow because he was already playing at a really high level with that. But is the power all going to be there? I think you expect 80 to 90% of Harper instead of everything that's projected for him. For DeGrom, what are you expecting from DeGrom once he actually gets back? I know he started his rehab assignment and was basically striking everybody out. It's still going to be a few weeks. Yes, but so is are you getting 80% of what you expected from Jacob DeGrom once he's actually back? I don't know. I think... Uh... I think it's it's more like 100% went in. It's just a question of does he grab something else and go back down? Right. How much playing time do you actually get? Oh, you're going to get you're going to get the Jacob DeGrom, but you're going to get him for half as many innings as you're expecting. I think there's a risk there. You know, he's had setbacks from setbacks. He's he's been ready to go and then not, you know. So, he could make it to the big leagues, throw two starts and say, "Oh, something's not right yet." Yeah, just 92 innings last year. Hopefully he comes back and is himself. I Here's how I'm looking at it. I have not traded for DeGrom anywhere. I'm not trying to trade for DeGrom anywhere. I need pitching in mixed tout. I need to find a way to close the gap in ERA and whip. He'd be a great fit. But he's also going to cost so much, right? I mean, even even with the injuries, nobody's going to give you a break on Jacob DeGrom. No, I would have to give up, I think, probably Xander Bogarts or like a $25 hitter to get DeGrom back. And if I'm giving up that kind of hitter, why would I not just trade for Giolito or Woodruff or, or someone else who's trade comparable? And... Yeah, take the lesser pitcher who's currently healthy as opposed to trying the the ceiling guy that... Uh, yeah, you know, currently injured pitchers are... I'm not into. Currently injured position players, I could see it. Yeah, And it, mm-hmm. it might depend a little bit on the injury. I don't know. Like, what if you got a currently injured hitter that has been having hamstring issues all year? Like, what if they tore their hamstring? I don't want to be waiting around for that. Well, it does depend on the injury a little bit. But generally, trading for injured stars, not something I'd do. Head-to-head leagues especially, I'd be a little more inclined to do it because you you know you're still probably going to get to the playoffs. In Roto, you could lose ground and then not be able to make it up later because every single... Yeah, it doesn't make any sense in Roto. Yeah, just keep just try to be always first. Yeah, it's almost like consolidating in a keeper league when you're trading for the playoffs. Let's make sense of Tristan McKenzie, or at least try to. Had a two-start week this past week. First start against Minnesota did not go well. Second start against the Yankees did actually go pretty well, but he's been pretty disappointing. A lot of home run issues, and you know, obviously the weather in Cleveland. We've talked about that a couple of times. It's going to play a lot more hitter-friendly this time of year than it did earlier in the year. Do you see anything in the underlying numbers, Tristan McKenzie, that gives you some confidence that he can be the guy that he was in the second half of last season and in the first six to eight weeks of this season? Really seemed like mid-May was about the time that the home runs started to come back and, and really start to bite Tristan McKenzie. I think what's going on here is that um, he's throwing harder. He's throwing closer to his maximum, and it's costing him command. Um, and so you'll see that uh, his uh, maximum has not really changed. He's, his max velo has been around 95, um, you know, uh, forever. But, you know, he's closer to 93 now uh, sitting. 
when he when he first came up it was like 90 91 um in last year so i think by throwing closer he's he's improving his stuff and his you know his stuff numbers you know from start to start are uh, are fine they're good uh he's consistently putting up 105s 104s especially in the last uh six starts uh he's been above 105 in five of them um so you know that part's good it's the command that goes up and down he has starts where he's you know early in the season he had more starts where he was above 100 uh in uh in command and below 100 and stuff so it's like he's he's ending up uh as a very mercurial kind of up and down pitcher for different reasons but the stuff is is getting better generally i like uh you know i like it most of his his team situation i think uh, and what's funny is what i would do if i had mckenzie is start him in that first start and not in that second one oops last week yeah if you could play the matchups last week i would have i would have been out because i had to use him in in weekly leagues it ended up working out kind of okay or fine but it was really uh, disheartening to see the, the the easier of the two matchups go as, as sideways as it did for Tristan McKenzie it, weird that he's had both flaws though and if he puts it all together you, you might get that prolonged stretch where he's a low threes ERA guy with a good whip again because the ingredients are all there got a question from John about Brian Bayo who's going to come up and start for the Red Sox I believe that's on Wednesday and uh, curious if he compares to like Daniel Espino and some of the other top end prospects that have been uh, discussed frequently in the minor leagues. Um, I don't, I don't know that much about him. Just that he has a, it's the great changeup, right? Uh, that's, I think that's his deal. He's got a sixty changeup. Um, I just, I know that I personally have. A little bit of a bias against changeup pitchers. You want a breaker, like a really good breaking ball, ideally for the swings and misses. I mean, I think, I mean, he's he's been getting good strikeout rates, but if you look at his whiff rates, they are the whiff rates are insane, and the strikeout rates are good. You might see something similar in the big leagues. I think the bigger question, though, has been command for Bayo. The slider is supposed to be about as good as the changeup, based on the Fangraph scouting grades and. Home run rate hasn't been a problem for him in the minor leagues. I wonder if that'll be an issue with the command problems in the big leagues. And then Dude, if the walk is, rate goes up, he's in more trouble. This is one of the lower... They have a 30-40 uh, command grade on him uh, at Fangraphs. And he's never had a walk rate over 4 per 9. Right. It's, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Yeah. It's be something to watch. I mean, I, listen, no one has to yell at the radio. I understand that command is not just walk rate. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying that it's you know usually they line up. I mean, he had he had seasons where he didn't even walk three per nine, um, so, and and a couple and well, those are smaller sample, but a couple seasons where he didn't even walk two per nine. So, um, yeah, this is uh, I think it's gonna be fun. I, I do what I do have a bias towards, and this is kind of interesting. I have a bias towards changeup pitchers in terms of watchability. Like there's, I think there's almost nothing so awesome as a changeup that has a ton of movement because it just seems so almost unnatural. It comes out of the hand and instead of going, you know, glove side, which is like, okay, that makes sense in my brain. Like a great changeup just veers off arm side. It's just like 
super improbable and it's super crazy looking, I think. So I, I love watching good changeups. I'm definitely going to watch his debut. I don't know that um, like people were asking me if they should drop established uh, starters that are pitching well. And I'm just like, no, I don't think so. You can drop a streamer. You can drop a, a back end guy. Like, would you drop a Tyler Anderson for him? No, I don't think Bayo is necessarily permanent. Yeah, that they, too. they've got a lot of guys coming back, including Sale. And Sale's I just think back soon. a lot of the Red Sox young starters that have been filling in could end up in the bullpen. Bayo could be one of them. They might see him as a multi-inning weapon that they can use to help bridge the gap between their starters and their bullpen arms. That could totally happen. But I think the reason Bayo doesn't come up in the same conversations as Grayson Rodriguez and Daniel Espino is that command grade. I think the other difference, though, is that the, even the the best pitches in the arsenal of Rodriguez and Espino are higher graded pitches than Bayo's best pitches. So it's a little bit of both. Um, so I think that's part of why he's been more in the second tier of pitching prospects. Doesn't yeah. mean he won't be good. I mean, they, I they, mean, the, they my top good tier in the minors is Espino, Meyer, and Rodriguez. And Yuri Perez for me is in that group. Mm. He's so young, nineteen at Double A. I have a little bit more TrackMan movement knowledge about Meyer, Espino, and and uh, Grayson Rodriguez, so I always fall back on that a little bit. <laughs> but thanks for that question, John. Last player we're going to talk about today, Paul wants to know what we think of Harold Ramirez, who has been hitting in a prominent spot in the Rays order, and he's got first base corner, or first base outfield eligibility, so a little bit of flexibility in a lot of leagues that is there something you see in Harold Ramirez that helps you understand why the Rays seem to like him so much and why he's starting to take away some playing time from a guy like Josh Lowe? I, I wonder if he's got the defensive chops. So I, I wonder what if it's really you know something that I would want to do in center field. Uh, they are not playing him in center field, as you can tell from the sort of one B slash OF. It's there's you know the Cody Bellinger and almost nobody else is also playing center. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are not using him in center, which I think th- that's why Josh Lowe has to play is because they're out of center fielders. They're uh, playing Kiermaier in center again now too. I think Kiermaier being healthy. Injury? Yeah, that, that's that's sort of left him to choose between Lowe and Ramirez in a corner. And, and I, I'm surprised they're not giving Lowe more chances, but Ramirez is producing. He, he's a win now. It's a win now situation. And if yeah. this is if it's going to continue, then Lowe will go down. Um, what they like about Ramirez is he has a plus hit tool. You know, he, this, there is there, you know, when they pick up guys like Paredes, right. When they pick up, uh, guys, like even like a Rosarina, Rosarina's strikeout rate is higher, but he, they have good hit tools and they, they like guys who have good hit tools. And, you know, what's interesting about Hill Ramirez is he has this good hit tool and then he has 114, 115 max EV. So, you know, he's a little bit like Yandy Diaz, right? guy who can put the ball in play, hits it really hard, and doesn't lift it. It's a, it's a profile they like. Yeah, a lot of, lot of well-struck balls for Ramirez. I think just Ray's doing Ray's stuff, though, in terms of how frustrating it is if you're trying to see if Josh Lowe can provide bags <laughs> for you. Like, I, I think it's hard to break in when your playing time is up and down as Lowe's appears to be right now. And Vidal Brujan's like one level even below that right now. So you got to think a trade is happening in Tampa Bay. Someone, one of those guys, I think it's on the move as we get to the deadline. 
Thanks a lot for the great questions for today's show. You got a question for a future episode, drop us a note, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. Eno is at Eno Saris on Twitter. I'm at Derek Van Riper. And if you are listening to this podcast but do not have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. We've got a 3-0 show coming out on Thursday morning. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.